Sola Scriptura. Here we go. A lot of us tend to uh, go after this business of religion in a way of experience. We want an experience with God. We want to encounter God, and that's good. But all too often, we're leaning on issues of experience rather than truth. And it gets convoluted. And so we need to be a people. We want to encourage all of us here at Parkside Bible Fellowship to be a people of the Word. And uh, I want to start with just a... A quick introduction, then hopefully a quick historical survey. Uh, I don't want to take too long on that because as Pastor Brennan had mentioned, we're not Parkside Historical Society. We are Parkside Bible Fellowship. And that's what we want to um, be reminded of. This issue of sola scriptura, scripture alone is absolutely critical in the Reformation time. That's If you're here for the first time uh, uh, visiting, we're doing this series on the Reformation, Reformation 500. It's the 500th birthday of it coming up. But with the, the event coming up at the end of October, it was one event of many that built up to the whole issue of uh, Reformation. Okay, so as we get started, this um, we need to understand um, there is history that we need to. So there's two key words that we must understand when we talk about scripture alone, and the two words are sufficiency and authority. Sufficiency and authority. I want to just read to you from the London Baptist Confession, the Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. It's it's a great, succinct definition of the sufficiency of Scripture. The Holy Scripture is the only sufficient, certain, and infallible rule of all saving knowledge, faith, and obedience. Wayne Grudem, that we, he, we did a series by Wayne Grudem on theology in the Fellowship Hall a couple of summers ago. Wayne Grudem defines it this way. The sufficiency of Scripture means that Scripture contained all the words of God that he intended his people to have at each stage of redemptive history and that it now contains all the words of God we need for salvation, for trusting Him perfectly, and for obeying Him perfectly. Scripture is enough. It is abundantly adequate. And yet, we have many Christians that feel like, I just want to go to the Psalms and read what I like. Pick and choose. I want to pick and choose what I want to read. And yet the message of God is here. And what you, if you're holding the Bible right now, if you're not, grab the one in front of you in the pew and hold it. And you understand this is one of the greatest gifts that we could ever have in our possession. It's just that we don't take time with it. We don't take time with it. Authority. So that's sufficiency. Authority. Authority is God's Word. He's God. 
Do I need to say anything more? He's God. What does that mean? And all too often we think of God as the grandfather in the sky. And that's wrong. He is God Almighty. He is God the Creator. He is our Maker. He will be the judge of all. And He will judge rightly. He will not judge unfairly. He will judge rightly. Authority is a great theme of the Bible. The Bible presents itself to us as an authoritative book. Okay? Um, And people could argue and say, Oh, but, you know, um, Satan did this and this, and and -and so-and-so did this, and it's in the Bible. Well, that doesn't mean that God is condoning it as true or right. It happened. There are a lot of unjust things that happen that are recorded in the Bible... But God does not condone it. He's reporting it. And yet, we look at it and we say, Oh, those terrible Jews. They they went about killing everybody. And God's a God of war. And God did this and God did that. And we blame God. And that God is recording the condition of man's heart. In most cases, it's about the condition of man's sinful, rebellious heart. Okay? So... We, we want to proclaim that everything in the Word points to and magnifies the supreme authority of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus said, once He rose up from the grave, Jesus said in Matthew 28, all authority has been given unto me. That's a bodacious statement. Like many of His statements, I am the way, the truth and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. He wasn't talking just to the Jews. He was saying that to everyone. And then he says at the end of Matthew, all authority has been given unto me. That's a lunatic. Right? That's just simply a lunatic. He's got some marbles missing, right? No, he's God in the flesh. Okay? God in the flesh. So, those two words, as we go through this study, those two words, need to, you need to latch on to those as we go. They're very important for us. Sufficiency and authority. And uh, I know that all of us, I, I'll speak for myself, I have a problem. Because I want to be sufficient. I want to have authority. So do you. And yet, this is the very thing that brought about the Protestant Reformation is when people started looking carefully, they started realizing, wait a minute, the Roman Catholic Church is doing this, and that's not what the Bible says. So we want to look quickly, I hopefully quickly here, on the key historical events. I've laid them out for you in your outline. So letter A, under number one, is about Erasmus. He was a Danish priest who ended up publishing in 1516 a Greek New Testament. Prior to that, they had only had Latin um, texts in the Latin. And um, I put in your outline, in parentheses, Matthew 3, 2. And it talks about repentance there. In the Latin, it translates as penance. And that's what everyone understood back there. It was about having penance. 
Well, when Erasmus publishes the Greek New Testament, it, it's in Greek. It's based on the manuscripts from the Greek language. And in that verse, Martin Luther catches this one word. Metanoia. Repentance. The idea of to repent. So, he caught that. Well... Along with that, then, 1517, it's uh, lots of things, I'm sure, transpired in, in between, but 1517, Luther nails his 95 Theses to the door of the castle church in Wittenberg, Germany. And his intention was simply to bring about debate with other professors, so to speak, over the selling of indulgences to those who could not afford them. But his act of nailing those 95 theses to the, the door, uh, Wittenberg did more than he would ever figure. 1519, letter C. The Leipzig Disputation. There's debates going on. And one certain Roman Catholic scholar by the name of Johann Eck uh, debated a Protestant man. Uh, regarding some issues. Then in July, I think that was in June, then in July of 1519, he faced off with Martin Luther on the issue of papal authority. And it was here that Luther concluded that the Bible alone, sola scriptura, was authoritative in matters of Christian doctrine and practice. 1521, Luther was excommunicated by the Catholic Church and declared an outlaw Here's what the website history.com relates. It was Pope Leo X who formally excommunicated Luther from the Catholic Church. That same year, Luther again refused to recant his writings before the Holy Roman Emperor Charles V of Germany, who issued the famous Edict of Worms, declaring Luther an outlaw and a heretic and giving permission for anyone to kill him without consequence. For what? Yeah, think about that. Protected then by Prince Frederick, Luther began working on the German translation of the Bible, a task that took uh, ten year, nearly 10 years to complete. It was at this session, that uh, the Edict of Worms, that Luther said this memorable statement. He had to appear before the emperor twice. Each time he was clearly told to take back his teachings. Luther didn't see any proof against the... Uh, against his theses or views which would move him to recant. And he said this, Unless I am convinced by Scripture and plain reason, I do not accept the authority of the popes and councils, for they have contradicted each other. My conscience is captive to the Word of God. I cannot and I will not recant anything, for to go against conscience is neither right nor safe. God help me. Amen. So, and things were just gaining momentum. And again, these historical events, it wasn't just one thing that brought about all the change from, from Roman Catholicism to Protestant denominations. It was numerous things. But finally, in 1545 through 1563, the Catholic Church rallied their bishops together and met at what's called now the Council of Trent. 
in their, to have their response to the growing Reformation movement. The conference um, met 25 times over 18 years to come up with their statements on belief. In your outline, I've given you seven of them, and there are more issues, but there are seven there. Okay? Um, primary purpose was to condemn and refute beliefs of Reformation. Uh, number two, condemn justification by faith alone as heresy. Number three, condemned anyone who rejected the Apocrypha. Now, the Apocrypha was a set of Jewish, um, ancient Jewish writings or books that were deemed as scripture by the Roman Catholic Church. However, there is never an, any early church agreement to them being validated as God's word, those books, the Apocrypha. Um, and so they were not placed in the canon of 66 books of the Bible. They weren't put in there. Normally, other books or writings were at least quoted by Jesus or the apostles. Quotations like from Exodus or Deuteronomy. Many of the quotes in the New Testament were from Exodus or Deuteronomy. But there is no acknowledgement or quoting of these books by our Lord in the Gospels, nor by any of the apostles in their writings. These books in the Apocrypha did serve certain purposes for the Roman Catholic belief system because in one particular case, in the, in the mention of purgatory, is, is alluded to there in, in the Apocrypha. Um, and so that was a big issue in the Catholic Church is purgatory. You've you got to spend time in purgatory. You know, and Purge is the idea behind that, to purge you of your sins so it, it's just, again, that part of, of the Roman Catholicism builds and builds on, on tradition. And we're going to see that in a little bit. Also, um, along with these things, the Apocrypha had wrong historical facts. Uh, they, it, it condoned the use of magic and it taught salvation by works. Uh, it's specifically found in the book of Tobit, uh, chapter 4, verse 11, and chapter 12, verse 9. Along with these, there was no prophetic characteristics of those books, no prophecy given. And that was another sign that they were not um, uh, worthy of being placed in Scripture. Also, um, in number 5 on your list, if you look at number 5, it, it rejected sola scriptura by affirming two other sources of special revelation. One was the scriptures, but the other was tradition, tradition handed down. And um, that ends up leading to a very, again, convoluted kind of a, an approach to the, the leadership within the Roman Catholic Church, allowed to uh, uh, speak on uh, their own terms apart from the Bible saying, but this is, this is tradition, this is what we follow. Now, on the one hand, most all of us have traditions that we follow, okay? Um, especially if you grew up in a Lutheran or Methodist or whatever kind of a background, there are traditions that we follow. But all of us, all of us have to distinguish between what is tradition and what is Scripture. 
that's important that we evaluate what we're doing or what we believe with the Word of God, not what we've learned through tradition. Okay? Jesus continually condemned, get this, He continually condemned religious leaders back in the day in the Gospels, placing their traditions on the same level as Scripture. You can mark down Matthew 15, 1 through 9. Matthew 15, 1 through 9. And then also mark down Matthew 22, verse 29. These are places where Jesus is speaking against what they've done uh, by placing tradition up as high as, as Scripture. That brings us to... That wasn't too bad. That was about 10 minutes. Okay. I was, I was fearful that I'd get kind of locked in there and talking about the history of it. But, um, but, and again, just remember, those are um, kind of highlights of history. It's not a detailed survey. There's numerous things and many people involved in what came about on this issue of the Reformation. And Martin Luther, by the way, wasn't all uh, uh, angelic in his efforts here. He, you know, is recorded of having said some nasty things. Okay? So don't just think uh, we're uh, highlighting Martin Luther as, you know, he did everything wonderfully. You know, he didn't. (laughs) But anyway, God used him. And God used other people in this whole revolution of the Reformation. Okay? So what we want to do right now is move on to point number two. And so please turn in your Bible to Matthew, uh, Psalm 19. Psalm 19. The Bible has numerous passages that magnify the importance of the Word of God. And um, here this morning we're going to look at Psalm 19. And we're uh, considering this, uh, it's 14 verses long. In the first section, God's revelation is made clear through what? Through creation. Creation declares His glory, okay? Um, verse 1, the heavens declare the glory of God. The sky above proclaims His handiwork. So God's creation proclaims His, his glory and who He is. We want to look at verse 7 and following. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. And so, just like Martin Luther, uh, in seeing what he saw in the Greek text, of Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, we go to the text and we want it to declare itself and its truth. 
And here's a, a helpful reminder, at least for me it was a helpful reminder, is that we let Scripture sit on the judgment seat in your mind. I always want to be on that seat. I want to be on the seat and I call the shots and I'm, I call the decisions. But we want to learn to let Scripture lay, uh, make those decisions. That's the idea of, of fleshing it out in your life. You, want, you, you don't want to just have a, a, not, a head knowledge about Jesus. You want to live it out and walk it in your life and be a doer of the Word, not just a hearer doing what? Deceiving yourselves. We need to let the Word of God dwell in us richly so that we then walk in such a way that our conduct, our behavior is in line with that. And uh, that's why we need God's grace all the time because I fail in this. You fail in it. We need His help and His strength and encouragement from one another as the body of Christ. So, there are six phrases used here in Psalm 19, 7 through 11 to describe the Word of God, the law of the Lord. It's God's law for man's conduct, for man's behavior. It's His, His, His set of guidelines for us, His law, okay? And He says it is what? The law of the Lord is, say it, perfect. The law of the Lord is perfect. We could spend a whole morning just on that and dwell on that. We need to let the words of Christ keep coming back and hitting us in the brain here, hitting us in the mind so that it affects our heart and it affects our habits. The law of the Lord is perfect. And in this case, perfect is the idea of complete. You ought to have a bell ringing inside meaning sufficiency. The Word of God is complete. It's perfect. It's complete. It's sufficient. It leaves out nothing. The Word of God leaves out nothing. You say, well, yeah, I I caught you here. It, It leaves out such and such example. Yeah, it leaves out a number of things. But remember what we talked about earlier? God's given us what we need to know. He hasn't recorded everything that happened. He's recorded what we need to have to live for Him, to turn away from sin and to walk with Him. So the law of the Lord is perfect. And then it says it restores or it revives the soul, meaning your inner person, that part of you that never dies, your soul. It revives, it restores, it transforms you. And that's done by the work of the Holy Spirit in your life. You might not feel the Holy Spirit. If I'm talking to Christians here. You might not feel the work of the Holy Spirit. But the Bible says that we are temples of the Holy Spirit. We have the Holy Spirit given to us. He is the pledge of the, the whole relationship issue that we have now that we've come to know Christ Jesus by faith. And so he uses, God's Spirit uses his word, the law, to convict you. And again, friend, listen, that's not a negative thing at all. We think that's negative. Oh, you're just talking about conviction, conviction, you know, negative. No, 
He uses the word, the law, to convict us of sin. Why? Why is that? It's just like with a little child. We're going to deal with this child in such a way to show him that we're not bullies. We love him or her. We love. And so we discipline. So the conviction of sin is there to draw you into... Here's the the issue of, now I want to live for him. Um, It brings about conversion, right? Conviction, conversion... And the work of consecration. That work that sets you apart as His child. And that's an important feature also. You need to understand, God wants you to turn away from sin. God wants to set you apart from the influences of evil and sin in the world. Okay? So that's His work. Letter B, the testimony of the Lord. We have the law of the Lord, then the testimony of the Lord. The testimony is God's testimony. It's His testimony, like in a court. God's given His testimony in His Word. Okay? It's His self-disclosure. It's His revelation of Himself. Here it is. That's why we say, if you want to know who God is, read the Bible. Read especially the Gospels about Jesus. Read the Word. It's his self-revelation of himself. The Bible then is about him. Don't ever forget that. It's about God. And a lot of places will turn it to say, well, it's about you and me. God loves us so much. And uh, he died just so we wouldn't ever have to, you know, whatever it's about. It gets turned to emphasize ourselves way too much in our day and age. The Bible is about God and his glorious work, not about you. It has, the Bible, has more reliable manuscript evidence than most all popular ancient Greek or Roman writings. Do you understand that? It's like you go to a bookstore and you say, oh, there's the Bible again. You go to Greek mythology, go to Roman writings, and guess what has more manuscript evidence? The Word of God. More manuscript evidence. And so the testimony of God, of the Lord, is His, self, his self-disclosure. his self And His testimony, it says His testimony is what? Is sure. It's reliable. It's trustworthy. And notice what it does. It makes wise the simple. God's Word teaches us discernment. Gives wisdom from above, James chapter 3. The whole book of Proverbs, you can find it scattered throughout the whole book of Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 21. My son, do not lose sight of these. Keep sound wisdom and discretion, and they will be life for your soul and adornment for your neck. Proverbs 4, verse 4 says, Let your heart hold fast my words, keep my commandments, and live. Get wisdom. (laughs) Get insight. Do not forsake her. The beginning of wisdom is this. Get wisdom. Okay? Is that clear enough? Yeah. Get wisdom. Not wisdom from the world. Yes, there's wisdom from the world. But James chapter 3, again, it says wisdom from above is this. It's pure. It's peaceable. It's gentle. I would say it's Christ-like. That's the wisdom from above. 
Okay? So, the law of the Lord is perfect. It restores the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, reliable, trustworthy, makes wise the simple. Let us see the precepts of the Lord. The precepts of the Lord are the the doctrines, if you will, the teachings, the, the life principles that we gain from the Word. And what are they? They are right. The precepts of the Lord are right. Now, we like to think right versus wrong, but here it's setting you in the right direction. Setting you in the right direction. And when you get set in the right direction, there's rejoicing in the heart. Think of that. I hate... Guys, you can relate here. We hate getting lost out on some city, you know, San Francisco or L.A. or San Diego. You know, we hate it. And then when we figure it out, it's... Boy, I feel so much better. And in a far, far... Listen... In a far, far greater way. The precepts of the Lord are right. They set you in the right direction for what? For eternity. And for wisdom. And for drawing near to the Savior. The rejoicing of the heart. Okay? Um, Jeremiah You can jot this down. Jeremiah 15, verse 6 says, Thy words were found, and I did eat them, and thy word was in me, the the joy and the rejoicing of my heart. Yeah! And how are we with it? How are you and I with this? Here's the word of God that we have constantly. You can turn on KNIS radio and they'll read you the word. You have all sorts of gadgets and stuff that you can poke on and here's the word of God. And how are we still? Boo. What was me? Right? Come on. You still, you and I, we still manage to, I'm so worried. I'm worried. I'm worried. I'm depressed. All that. And why? Because we're not letting the Word of Christ dwell in us richly. We're listening to our own voices more than we listen to the Lord. And we listen to the Lord by reading His Word. Okay? Dedicate yourselves to this. You know, like young people. Junior high, middle middle school, high school, college age. Dedicate yourself to this. You feel like you're swamped? You still dedicate yourself to the the ministry of the Word in your life. And you will be blessed because of that. Letter D. The commandment of the Lord. Here we go. Here's the authority of our life. The commandment of the Lord. Okay? Let's remember, God did not give us the Bible as a nice set of ideas. You know, Martha Stewart's ideas or whatever. No. It's not a nice set of ideas for how to live. It's not a a wholesome uh, list of suggestions. Hey, try this. Try this. That's not it. God gave us His commandments for us to walk in. He who has my commandments and keeps them, He it is who what? Thank you. 
He it is who loves me. And we ought to know that. We ought to know that. John 14, 21. We ought to know it. I've got his commandments. And I love the Lord. Okay? That's the idea in it. He it is who loves me, and he who loves me shall be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. That's how you draw near to the Lord. You see people in your life that you respect and you looked up to as a Christian, that you look at them and you say, they're, they're a godly man, they're a godly woman. You've got people like that in your life. You know how they got there. By spending time studying the Word. Not just reading, but reading and studying and taking it in, memorizing it, meditating on it, and living it out in their lives. The commandment of the Lord then is pure. It's clear. The idea, it's, it's, it's for the purpose of what then the effect is, the enlightening of the eyes so that you can see, you can have purpose. Here's vision for life. Okay? The commandment of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes, giving the believing soul understanding. You're a believer? Well, then here's, here's this part uh, that describes the Word of God. The commandment of the Lord, it's pure. It's clear. It enlightens the eyes. It's the idea of having perception of sight, of vision. There's purpose now. And even in the midst of difficulties... Okay? Some of you are dealing with difficulties in your life right now. And know that the Word of God is given unto us so that we might um, shine like lights in a dark world. The world looks at it and says, well, you ought to, you know, that's not fair. That's this. That's, you know, it's wrong. It shouldn't have happened. Whatever. And we will keep our eyes on the Lord by saying, I will trust you, Lord. It hurts, but I will trust you. Okay? Letter E, the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is clean and it endures forever. The fear of the Lord brings forth the issue of reverence. We, do, we live in an irreverent world. The fear of the Lord brings forth the idea of awe and wonder. That God is who He says He is. He's awesome. And the Bible then really instructs you and I to respond how? In worship. The fear of the Lord brings forth the idea that we are worshipers If we're saved, we are saved to serve and worship the Lord. The Bible is full of examples where it's pointing out God's worthiness. God's worthiness. So the fear of the Lord is clean, meaning it's without spot, without um, stain, What are we talking there? It's without the evil stain of the world. Without the sinful spots splattered around. 
The fear of the Lord is clean. That's what we've got to hold on to to say, you know what? This is what makes sense in this crazy world that we live in. Do I need to elaborate on the crazy world that we live in? I don't think so. Whether it's natural disaster or human uh, crime, craziness. I mean, it's just mounting and mounting and mounting. And the fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. If we will hold that near to our hearts, that's going to be very important because being that it endures forever, nothing will deter the worship of God for all of eternity, right? Nothing's going to deter the forever, eternal worship of the one true God. He's the worthy one. Nothing's going to get in that way. God will complete His plan. God will bring about His good work. He is faithful. You can trust Him. And the true worship of the Lord will endure forever. Psalm 143, just jot it down. Psalm 143 is saying, There is no one righteous except the Lord. His righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Um, the mighty mountains picture the idea that this is going to last forever. You know, they're mountains. You know, you can have a flood, but hey, mountains are going to still be there. That's the idea behind that illustration. Psalm Also, Psalm 145, verse 17. The Lord is righteous in all His ways and kind in all His ways. So that's the fear of the Lord. Letter F, the judgments of the Lord. His rulings on the issues of life. They are true and righteous altogether. His judgments will not be failing or faulty. His judgments and rulings on life and on people will not be repealed or reversed. His judgments on things will not be biased or partisan. His judgments will not be second-guessed or scrutinized. Because He is righteous and true. He is faithful and you can trust Him. We will see the fact that God will stand in the end with His righteous judgments. Amen. And so, we have a response here in Psalm 19. That by these, verse 11, by these, I'm sorry, verse 10, This is to be desired more than gold, even much fine gold. This whole issue of the Word of God is to be desired more than gold. And it's sweeter than than honey and the honeycomb. Okay? So, will we respond that way today or throughout this week? Is that how we respond? Or do we let the busyness factor creep in and lead the way? What is the Word of God to you? Stop and think about it. We've got one more part of this message, and that is on the, on the back of your outline, you'll see it, point number three, God's incarnation. What does that have to do with the word uh, sola scriptura, the phrase sola scriptura? Well, as we move to this section, God's incarnation, we look at the completed picture that God has intended in the Bible. What's the completed picture? Everything, do you understand that everything Jesus um, said in Luke 24, everything points to one person. Everything points to Jesus. 
the, the prophets, okay? Uh, Moses and all the prophets, they, they all point to Jesus. That's the picture of the Bible. Jesus is there in the Old Testament. We had a Sunday school class on that a number of summers ago. So everything points to Jesus, and that's what Jesus proclaims. And again, you study through the Gospels, you find radical things that Jesus said about himself. My words will never fail. Can you imagine one of the pastors getting up, you know, and talking about that themselves? Hey, what I say never fails. You'd have me out on my ear in the parking lot, right? Jesus said that. Jesus is implying what? His authority. His authority over everyone. <laughs> okay? So, turn to John chapter 1. This won't take long. John chapter 1. In the beginning, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. Verse 14, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory. The glory is of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Scripture is first and foremost the Word of God, not the Word of men. Jesus being made the Word, being the Word made flesh, okay, that verse in uh, verse 14, Jesus being the Word made flesh means that letter A under number three, Jesus is perfect. Have you ever stopped to say that to yourself? That Jesus is perfect? He is all-sufficient. He is enough. Jesus plus nothing equals what, class? Everything. Everything that God has intended for you is in the person of Jesus Christ. If you're out here, if you're here this morning, you're searching, Jesus Christ is the answer. Period. Yes, there's other details, but you know what? That's life. And God will help you figure it out. (laughs) But Jesus is perfect. Letter B, Jesus is sure. He is faithful. Hey, you know what we're doing? We're taking Jesus and we're seeing him in Psalm 19, 7 through 11. Do you understand that? Okay? Jesus is perfect. He is sure. He is faithful. He is the one making sinners wise unto salvation. Jesus is. Let us see. Jesus is just. He is the right, the righteous one. And he rejoices the heart. Mark down 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, in order that he might bring us to God. When you have been brought to God, you have a joy that is unmatched. When you know that you are forgiven of your sins before a holy God, you have a joy that can't be stopped. There's great joy in knowing God. 2 Corinthians 5, 15 and 17. He died for all, that all who live should no longer live for themselves, but for Him who died and rose again on their behalf. 
Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a what? Bummed out creature, right? Still same old, same old. No, he's a new. Everything's new. Everything's new. Hallelujah. Christian, we need to be excited about the truth of God, not about some guy waving his arms up here. That you will get excited about what God tells you in His Word. That you'll search it out. That you'll have joy in your life. Letter D. Jesus is pure. He's set apart. He is the one. And He enlightens the eyes. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light the understanding of the knowledge of the glory of God. Where is that? In the face of Christ. There's the the knowledge of the glory of God is where? In the face of Christ. When you study, you know, I, I, I study my beautiful wife. I look at her face, you know, or our children, or our grandchildren. You look into someone's face. There's a lot you can learn. Okay? But more so, especially so, we look into the face of Jesus and we see God's glory. Letter E, Jesus is without spot or blemish. He is the worthy one, forever worthy of our praise. Letter F, Jesus is the true and righteous one. Okay. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says He made Him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we, that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Are you a Christian? God sees you as holy and blameless, as righteous. And I, I know most of us are like, no, yes, yes. He sees you as righteous, not because of your performance, but because of Christ's performance. Amen? Amen. Letter G wraps up with Jesus is our great treasure. More to be desired than gold. That's Jesus. More to be desired than gold. Sweeter also than the honey, than honey in the honeycomb. Mark down Matthew 13, 44 and 45. There's Jesus talking about the, the hidden treasure in the field and the man that found it went and did what? He sold everything he had to go buy that field. What a great little... That's just one verse there. Matthew 13, 44. Went and sold it all and bought that field because it had the treasure in it. Okay? When you say or when you hear someone say, Jesus is Lord. It's like that's our lingo, isn't it? That's our Christianese. But let's go beyond that. Let's go beyond that. Let's go beyond the Christianese lingo and treasure these things in our hearts. Okay? And we need to recognize a couple of things in closing up here. We need to recognize there is a constant battle going on in your heart for sufficiency. And we call it self-sufficiency. 
that, that battle continues to rage each week. Am I going to be self-sufficient and take charge and be in control? And uh, we joke about it, have all of our ducks in a row. And I struggle with the issue of authority. I don't like someone telling me what to do. You know, I might do it, but, you know, a lot of times, you know, inside, I'm like, Ugh. but yet God, in the, in the big picture of the Bible, here's what God's doing. He's, he's putting forth his righteous authority in our lives. We who have been attending church for most of our lives, we're familiar with the Bible. We are the ones that tend to be the ones that, listen, we let tradition rule our lives. And we let tradition be raised up to the equal status of Scripture. So we, I want to encourage all of us, we need to step back and evaluate our own selves and ask God to refresh our understanding, to enlighten our eyes as we read the Word. Let's read the Word. Lord, give us fresh eyes to read the Word and hungry hearts to receive the Word. Humble hearts, hungry hearts to receive His Word. And always remember that the Bible is faithful and true, reliable and trustworthy, pointing us to a perfect, righteous Savior. Let's stand up, please, in, in closing. Next week, we will be um, talking about Christ being um, high and lifted up. Okay? So, again, that sounds um, like we're familiar with that, but let's not allow that to direct our thoughts and minds. Let's be praying for the time that we gather again um, under the preaching of the Word. Okay. Just bow your heads, please. Now may the God of peace Himself sanctify you completely and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. And thank you, Lord, for our time. Thank you for your word. May, uh, by your spirit, uh, please use your word to bring about uh, a restoration, a revival of our hearts and souls. May we draw near to you this day and through this week. Help us, we pray, and it's all because of your grace. We acknowledge that together, and we lift up a big hearty amen to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you and you're dismissed.